Well, church, it is my joy to open up the Word of God with you. How many of you are ready for a word? If you are ready, why don't you type, I'm ready, in the comments? Come on, type it in the comments. Listen, every single week I see these comments. This encourages me. Even though you're not here and you're not actually typing this live as I preach, this encourages me and it gets me pumped for the next week when I have to preach. Uh, So type, I'm ready, in the comments. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Over the next three weeks, we're actually going to stay in Luke chapter 1. And this is not just what we call the Christmas season in our cultural consumerist capitalist society, but this is also the season of Advent. Advent simply means arrival. It means the coming of Jesus. And we talk about Jesus's first Advent, his first coming in this season, and it is a season of anticipation and resistance and justice and also a season of peace and a season of quiet, and there's so many amazing things. And so I'm excited to anticipate what God is going to do in our hearts before the end of the year. And since 2020 is not over, we still have some things to expect of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, Luke chapter 1, let's go to verse 13. I'll read an extended portion of this passage when we get into the Word. But verse 13, it says this, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Your prayer has been heard. Will you bow your heads with me right now as we pray? Father God, I pray that you would be good enough to meet us in this time. We need you. We need your presence. We need a word from you. Now, God, would you use the feebleness of my voice and the limitations of my own ability? And God, would you place your spirit upon me? There can't be a fire in anyone's place if there is an iceberg behind this pulpit. So God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your love, burn for your justice. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, O Lord, in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, about two years ago, uh, my wife and I had the privilege of taking our growing family to Disney World. Now, at the time, she was pregnant with our second child. And so we had the opportunity to take just um, ourselves and then also our now two-year-old daughter, Trinity, to Disney World in Orlando. Now, it's a place of wonder and beauty. Of course, you know, it's a place of fun and imagination. As a matter of fact, if you've been to Disney World, why don't you put a hand up in the comments if you've actually been to Disney World? And many of us are familiar with this place and familiar with how this place works because, of course, we are Floridians. We have family who live down south, or maybe we've just had the opportunity to go multiple times to the city of Orlando and visit Disney World. Now, if you haven't been, I encourage you to make that trip at least once in your life, post-COVID, of course, because it is truly a -a one-of-a-kind experience. But you'll quickly find that your experience with Disney World is always determined by your answer to just one question. Now, some of you already know where I'm going with this because you've attended Disney World multiple times. Others of you, if you're a rookie, you don't know what question I'm talking about. It's actually a question that every single participant in the park is asked before they enter in. After they have paid for their fees, before they enter in, they are asked one particular question that will dictate and determine your experience in Disney World. That question is very simply this. Would you like the fast pass? (laughs) Would you like the fast pass? Now, some of you, again, know what I'm talking about. Others of you have no idea. But if you go to Disney World, one of the things you have to be prepared for is you need to be prepared to wait. 
you need to be prepared to wait in a bunch of lines, in more lines than you've ever seen in your life, in lines for food, in lines to go to the bathroom, in lines, yes, to get on your favorite ride, those rides that you are anticipating going upon. And it, the question is really pertinent and, and important because two years ago, I anticipated, since it had been a long time since I had been to Disney World, that we didn't really need the Fast Pass. It's okay. I mean, Trinity's probably not going to remember much of this anyway. It was a great experience. We enjoyed ourselves. I said, we don't need the fast pass. I am an introvert. I'm not a daredevil. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't go on the roller coasters. Why would I do that? I like my feet being on the ground. Why do they need to dangle in the air? I'm good. So I said, you know what? I don't need that fast pass. We don't need that fast pass. You're pregnant, so you're not riding any of these rides. And I'm an introvert with a one-year-old daughter. I'm good. My feet are on the ground. I'm perfectly fine. No worries whatsoever. But see, Disney apparently has got hip to the game because everything has a fast pass option. I mean, if you're going to a show, it has a fast pass option. If you want to see your favorite Disney character, it has a fast pass option. If you want to eat some food, it has a fast pass option. I'm like, what in the world is this? I said, so now everything requires you to get a fast pass to move quickly through the park. Why is this important to me? Because I don't know about you, but I don't like waiting. Is there anybody else who can testify to this who can say, you know what? I don't like waiting in lines. I don't like sitting down. I have no desire to wait. I have things to do, places to be, things to see. And in the midst of this experience that is supposed to be about fun and beauty and imagination, I noticed that other people were having a different experience because they didn't have to wait for the things we experienced. Does anyone in here, let me ask you the question again, anyone in here can't stand waiting? Anyone in this service is honest enough to admit that I can't take it. When I have to wait too long, I start to itch. I start to get restless. I start to walk around. I start to beat my feet down on the ground. I start to look around and say, when am I going to experience what I came here for? And it's not just true in the natural, but it's also true in the spiritual Waiting is so important, and I'm still young in this game, church, but I've walked with God long enough to know that a massive part of our walk with God is waiting for God to move. A massive part of our walk with God is waiting to experience the things that God has promised to us. Someone has rightfully said that waiting patiently is the foundation of the spiritual life. This is good news and bad news because some of you are in the midst of waiting and you're trying to figure out whether or not it's a good thing. Yes, it's true. It's the foundation of the spiritual life. But the bad news is you just going to have to keep on waiting. Anybody has served God long enough to know that a big part of serving God is just waiting for God to move, waiting for the spirit to show up, waiting for God to do the thing that he said he was going to do, waiting to walk into your purpose, waiting for the opportunity, waiting for the healing, waiting for the financial breakthrough. Waiting is the foundation of the spiritual life. And for those of us who cannot stand waiting, the Advent season is a rude awakening to us. The Advent season tells us that the people of God have been waiting for God to move have been waiting for God to do incredible things, have been waiting for God to send the very thing that they needed. And God had apparently to them been silent. God had been working in the silence. God had been behind closed doors cooking up something for them, a redemption plan that involved his son coming down into the world, but it came in a way that they weren't expecting, and they had to wait in anticipation. 
uh, Frederick Buchner, who's a great writer, he puts it like this. He said, the extraordinary thing that is about to happen is matched only by the extraordinary moment just before it happens. Let me say that again. The extraordinary thing that is about to happen is matched only by the extraordinary moment just before it happens. And he goes on to say this, Advent is the name of that moment. And I'm here today, church, and we're talking about waiting because it is very important for us to realize the fact that every single person under the sound of my voice has had an entire year or what felt like a decade of waiting this year. In 2020, we have had to sit alone by ourselves. In 2020, we have had to isolate ourselves. In 2020, we've had to wait for vaccines. We've had to wait for orders from our government. We've had to wait for stimulus checks. We've had to wait for the fact that we haven't gotten the stimulus check. And can someone call somebody else and tell them we need a second stimulus check? Can I get an amen? We've had to wait for people to do the things that we expected. We've had to wait for life to get back to normal. And it has not, and it hasn't moved as quickly as we wanted it to and I know there are some people who are wondering how much longer will I have to wait and this is why Advent is so important this year. Advent is so important because the question church is not can we wait that's something that we will all be forced to do regardless of what we want. Here's the question can we wait the right way? Can we wait the right way? Here in Luke chapter 1, this is why we're going to be talking about it over the next three weeks because it seems as though God is moving upon different types of people, encouraging them to wait the right way for the things that he has promised. He visits an old man first, then he visits a young woman. He visits a priest and then a poor teenage girl. And God, when he visits all of them, there is a single through line, and that through line is, I am going to meet a need through you. I am going to use you in a powerful way, but it's going to require you to wait. It's going to require you to be in some uncomfortable situations. And the first person that I mentioned here, the old man, the priest, his name is Zechariah. It says here in verse 5 in Luke chapter 1, open up your Bibles and take a look at it. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were good church-going folks. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. It's interesting here that in this text, it says that Elizabeth and Zechariah were good people. It says that they followed the commands and dictates of God. It says even here that Zechariah was in ministry. It says here that Elizabeth was a descendant of the great Aaron. She had a royal, a ministerial pedigree. She was important. He was important, but yet there was something that they were facing. There was something that they were dealing with. It was the curse, according to society, of childlessness. And in the midst of this, what we find here is that good people can still struggle. Can I stay there just for a second? Good people can still struggle. Good people can still go through things. Good people can still experience trials and sufferings. And many of us have been asking the question, God, did I get it wrong because you haven't answered the thing that I thought you were going to? Did I get it wrong because I'm still having to wait for the manifestation of what you promised? And God is here to tell you through the example of Elizabeth and Zechariah, no, you didn't get it wrong. Just wait on it. I'm using you for a specific purpose. I'm using you for a specific reason. And it's not your fault. It's all a part of my plan. And as we go on, 
Zechariah in verse 8. He is on duty as a priest, and he's serving as a priest before God, and he was chosen by Lot to burn incense in this moment. And verse 10 says, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. We have the holy place. And this is not the holy of holies. This is just the place where the priests are burning the incense in the holy place. And what's so interesting is the angel of the Lord appears to him in the holy place, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Verse 13, key verse here, I read it at the top. But the angel said to him, catch this, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. You know, it's so interesting when we talk about waiting. I want to ask you some, some questions today, just three questions as we talk about waiting in the Advent season. Can I ask you three questions? The first of which is this. Can you trust that God hears unanswered prayers? <laughs> Can you trust that God hears unanswered prayers? It is interesting that many of us can attest to the reality, the universal reality, that there are some things we prayed to God for that God has not answered. There are some things that we came to God with that God has not met that need yet. There are some things that we have brought to God in our quiet time. There are some things that we have brought to God in our secret place that God has not come through. Is there anybody out there who is wondering whether or not you have been praying in vain? Is there anyone out there honest and transparent enough to admit that you have prayed to God for years? Think about it in this context. Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah was serving in the house of God. Zechariah was a faithful man to his wife. Zechariah was obeying the commands blamelessly, but interestingly enough, God had not given him the thing that he prayed for. And the truth of the matter is we have to ask ourselves the question, God, do you even hear me? Do you even hear the fact that I'm praying? Have you heard me for these days and these weeks and these months and these years and maybe even these decades? I've been praying to you. And I got this image in my mind as I was praying about this particular passage of some people who have gone to the same room every single morning. Some people who have laid down in the same place, knelt in the same place on the outside of their bed every single day at night before they go to sleep. And they're asking the question, God, I've been praying about this for years. I've been praying about this so long. I've been praying about this, and you still haven't come through. You still haven't done what I expected you to do. God, when are you going to show up? God, when are you going to come through? And it's so interesting here because the Advent teaches us a particular lesson about this idea of prayer. The Advent teaches us, catch this, that prayer is not about an answer. It's about arrival. <laughs> Can I run it back? Prayer is not about an answer. It's about an arrival. Many of us are praying to God, and we expect God to give us an answer. But even if God doesn't give us the answer that we want him to give us, the truth of the matter is we're praying to God not for an answer, but for him to show up. See, some of you have missed this reality, and hopefully this will be a paradigm shift for you. You've been waiting for God to say, yes, no, do this, do that, show up, don't show up, go to this place, don't go to that place. You've been waiting for God to meet the need that you thought he was supposed to meet. And here's what God is saying. I may not answer in the way you think I should answer, but I'm always going to show up for you. I may not do the thing that you expect for me to do, but I'm always going to be with you in the midst of this moment. I 
may not serve you in the way that you expect for me to do. I may not provide for you in the way that you expect. But the truth of the matter is, you don't really need my answer. What you really need is my arrival. What we really need is the presence of God, not just the hand of God, not just the provision of God, not just the might of God, not just the miracle working power of God. We need the presence of God. See, because no matter where I am, as long as I have God's presence, it doesn't matter if he answers me in the way that I expected. I still got the arrival of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about because God hasn't answered your prayers in the way that you thought he should. God hasn't done the things that you thought he should have done by now. But you can still testify that when I get in the secret place, when I get in the presence of God, when I get in this moment and God shows up and shows out, there's a blessing just in being in the presence of God. There's a blessing just in the arrival of God and the people of Israel, the people of God, they had this same reality. They asked for God to come and save them politically, but God didn't do it. God instead saved them spiritually. They asked for the son of man to come down and the son of man came down, but not as a king, but as a kid. <laughs> the Son of Man came in a way that they did not expect. They expected for God to give them their answer. But God says, wait, it's not about an answer. It's about me showing up in your life. Can I testify to someone here? If you think that God doesn't hear you based upon not getting an answer, you need to flip your expectations. You need to flip the idea of what you're going to God to seek. You are not going to God for an answer. You're going to God for an arrival. You're going to God so that he'll show up and show out, not just in your situation, but in your soul. <laughs> this is the truth of the Advent. Can you trust that God hears unanswered prayer. I just want to pause here and tell somebody who's been wondering this reality, who's been asking about this question, does God even hear me? Does God even attend to my prayer? I just want to encourage you. God hears you. God heard you. And I can't tell you when God is going to move in the way that you expect. I can't tell you if God is going to do everything that you ask. I can't tell you if God's answer is going to be yes. I can tell you, though, God heard you. I can tell you that God will arrive for you. I can tell you that God will show up for you. See, the real danger is not whether or not our deepest fear is not if God will act. It's if God hears us. We're not worried about God showing up in the end. We're worried about God even listening to us. And this is the truth, church. Prayer is not about the answer. It's about the arrival. But what's so interesting is the, the text continues on. And as the text continues on, Zechariah is in this place and he is greeted by the angel. And the angel reaches out to Zechariah and he says, hey, your wife is going to bear a son. And she's going to bear a son that's going to be the joy and the delight to you. Look at verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other ferment to drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Powerful. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord, to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is great news. Thank you, angel. But what does Zechariah say? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. So wait a second. 
Zechariah receives all of the things that he's been asking God for, and his answer, how can I be sure? His question is, how can I know this? Okay, first question is, do you believe that God hears unanswered prayers? Second question, can you expect that God moves in unsure situations? Do you expect that God moves in unsure situations? There are a couple of reasons why I don't understand Zechariah acting like this. You see the confusion on my face. If you understand the text, there are a couple of reasons why I don't really get why Zechariah responds this way to the angel. He asked, how can I be sure? Where was Zechariah when the angel showed up? Zechariah was in the place of God. Zechariah was in the holy place. Zechariah was burning incense. If Zechariah is burning incense and God sends an angel to show up, wouldn't it follow that he should trust the fact that he's in the place of God, getting an answer from God? Here's the thing about Zechariah, though. He was in the place of God, but he still doubted the power of God. <laughs> Some of us have been in the place of God, in the presence of God, and still doubted. Some of us have been in great church services and still question whether or not God was going to show up. Some of us have experienced powerful worship and still asking the question, is God real? Some of us have heard powerful prophecies and words, and we're still asking the question, can God make a way where there is no way? Let me give you some advice. Don't bring human expectations into divine conversations. I'm clapping myself down today because there's nobody else here. You're, you're here. I can't see what you're doing. Don't bring human expectations into divine conversations. It doesn't mean that we don't bring our cares to God in his presence. It doesn't mean that we're not honest. What it means is we don't submit, try to make God submit to our human limitations of understanding, to our lack of imagination, to our lack of consideration, to our finite nature. No, we step back and we say, you know what, God? I trust that if you are going to subvert my expectations, if you do it in a way I didn't expect for you to do it, I'm not going to be in the place of God and still doubt the power of God. I'm not going to be in the presence of God and still doubt the wonder-working capability and ability of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No, I'm not going to bring my human expectations into a divine conversation. And some of us have to be honest about the fact that there is a gap in our hearts. We expect God to move a certain way. We expect God to move how we thought he was going to move. We expect God to move in the ways that have always happened. That's why when something new comes, we start to question, I don't know if that's God. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's God. God says to the prophet, behold, I do a new thing. Behold, I do things that will subvert the expectations of the powerful and those in the positions of authority. Behold, I'm going to come and send my son as a kid. I'm going to come and send my son to a working class family. I'm going to come and send my son in a way you're not expecting. And because of that, we look at that, we say, I don't really know if that's God. Don't submit your expectations. Don't bring your expectations into the equation and expect God to move how you want him to move. Expect God to move in the same ways he's always done. And many of us have to be honest about the fact that we have a gap in our understanding. We have a blind spot because whenever God wants to do a new thing, we say, God, I didn't expect that. It's not about our expectations. 
It's about the divine ability of the God that we serve. Not only what, how God moves, that's what we expect, but also when we expect God to move. God may not show up when you expect. God may not step in at the exact moment that you anticipate. And that's okay because I don't bring my expectations to God and allow my relationship with him to fluctuate up and down. But rather I ask the question, is it enough for me to know that God is moving even if he doesn't move in the time I expected him to move? And then finally, here's the interesting thing about it that's so confusing to me. The thing that is so confusing to me is Zechariah's name. It literally means he who the Lord remembers. His own name testified to the fact that God had for, not forgotten about him. His own name testified to the fact that God was moving on his behalf. His own name testified to the fact that God was working in unbelievable ways even when he couldn't see it. And it's interesting, the things that have been spoken over us, do we truly believe them? Do we expect that God is going to move in unsure situations? Can we look at the uncertainty of our lives and not see it as a detriment, but see it as a great opportunity for God to move in incredible, mighty, wonder-working ways? And I think there are a couple of people out there who can testify to this fact. That even when God didn't move, when I expected him to move, how I expected him to move, he still showed up. He still showed up in an unsure situation. He still showed up in the midst of uncertainty. He still showed up in the midst of me, my confusion. He still showed up in the midst of me doubting. And that's when our faith grows. Our faith grows when God moves in unsure situations. You know, there's this uh, great anecdote that I've been reading and sharing, and I shared it one midweek, but I know not everybody was there. And it's this anecdote that Francis Grimke, a long-past black pastor, he shares about his meeting in conversation with some great civil rights or freedom struggle icons, Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth. And they were all together in this room, and it was a group of them. And Frederick Douglass, this great statesman, perhaps one of the greatest statesmen that this country has ever produced, he's carrying on about all these things on the inside of him that he's frustrated with how the work is taking a lot out of him, how he feels like he's making no progress, how he feels like nothing is getting accomplished. And he goes on and on, and Grimke says that at one point, Sojourner Truth, that great black activist, that great woman who asked the question, ain't I a woman too? She looks at Frederick Douglass, and you know what she says? She says, Frederick, is God dead? Is God dead? He said that at the moment she asked that question, Frederick's faith began to build, that he was stunned to hear her ask that rhetorical question because she was building his faith to understand and realize that even if he couldn't see it, the God who had brought him to this point was not dead. The God who had brought him to this point was yet alive. The God who had brought him to this point still had power and capability and might and all of the wonder-working potential that he needed to free the people that he was trying to free. And the question that I ask for you today is, even in your unsure situations, even in your uncertainty, even in the fact that you don't know what's going to happen, even in the unpredictability of life, church, is God dead? Is God dead, church? Has God lost power? Is God no longer able to move? 
Is God no longer omnipotent? Is God no longer omniscient? Is God no longer omnipresent? Is God no longer King of kings and Lord of lords? Is God dead? Some of us are asking the question, I don't know how it's going to work for me in 2021 financially. Is God dead? I don't know how it's going to work for me with my kids. They're changing so quick. Is God dead? I don't know if the marriage is going to, is God dead? I don't know what's next in my life. I feel like I'm purpose. Is God dead? And I'm asking this rhetorical question because faith needs to be built in you that even a situation that might be dead, even a womb that might be dead, even a bank account that might be dead, even a dream that might be dead, it all might be dead, but God himself is not. How many of you are glad you serve the living God? How many of you are glad you serve the God who is not dead but is yet alive, who was put in a tomb but he couldn't stay dead? He stood up with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. I feel like running around this place. Can someone put your hands together and thank God that you serve a living God, a real God, a God who has not left you, a God who is still yet alive. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. My God, I feel like running around for real. I'm not going to do it, but I feel like jumping up and down. And I think somebody can jump up and down with me. As we ask the question every single day when doubt creeps up, is God dead? Every single day when you feel as though that anxiety is, is God dead? God's not dead. And it doesn't mean that I explain everything away in some spiritual way. But what it does mean is I keep my faith in its proper place. Not only that, let me move on. Let me close out. Number three here, not just unanswered prayers, not just unsure situations. Very important. Do you believe that God uses unspoken testimonies? Do you believe that God uses unspoken testimonies? Look at verse 20, Luke chapter 1. Gabriel says to Zechariah, okay, you didn't believe me. Okay, all right, cool. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Verse 22, when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. <laughs> Can you believe that God uses the unspoken testimonies? Can you believe that God works even if you don't tell anybody about it? Mm. Can you believe that God is powerful even if people don't clap for it? Some of us can look at Zechariah's situation and we can look at it and say God was punishing him. And it's the reality of the matter. Yes, there was a punishment in this. There was a lesson that God was trying to teach Zechariah. But there's also a grace here. And the grace is I'm not going to let you Talk your way out of the thing that I blessed you with. I'm not going to let you talk your way out of getting with a crowd that wouldn't understand even if you told them. He was trying to tell them an angel came and all this, and I can imagine him trying to work it out or do sign language or tell people or draw something. And people are looking like, I don't really get it. 
And we can think, oh, man, if he just would have been able to tell them, everything would have been clear. That's not the case. Because just because God did something for you doesn't mean you have to tell everyone what he did. Just because God moved in a mighty way doesn't mean that you have to blab it on Facebook of the way that God made a way where there wasn't one. There is a significance in your silence. <laughs> Write that down. There is a significance in your silence that as you wait for God, and even as God begins to move, you don't just go and blab it to everybody. You don't just go and tell everybody what it should be. You don't just go and brag about it to everyone. But you keep it quiet. Why? Because your belief in God is not determined by who believes you. Your belief in God is not determined by who believes you. And some of us have to be honest about the fact that we have confided in people. We have looked for people to validate us. We have looked for people to applaud us. We have looked for people to put the stamp of approval on the ways God moves. And there's a great idea of testimony. There's a great principle that we share and celebrate. When one celebrates and rejoices, we all celebrate and rejoice. But you don't have to tell everybody everything. It's okay. For some of us, the test of Advent is not if God is going to move, but if we're able to keep it quiet until God tells us to speak. Your belief in God is not determined by who believes you. Doesn't matter. I came to a realization. They don't believe. That's okay. God moved in a mighty way. Who should I tell? Maybe no one. God worked it out. What am I going to do? Maybe nothing. And the Advent teaches us not just to wait in anticipation, catch this, but to continue waiting. Not just to wait in silence when it's appropriate, but to continue to keep our mouths closed. Can you believe, can you trust that God uses even the unspoken testimonies, the things where nobody finds out about it, the things where nobody knows, the moments where nobody can rejoice with you, is it enough that God told you and he says, hey, when it's time, I'll open your mouth. There is a grace that Zechariah was experiencing here. And it's a grace that we need to tap into, church. Everybody does not need to know what God is doing on the inside of us. It's okay. We don't need the approval. We don't need to be seen and heard. We don't need to be loud and proud. Sometimes we need to be quiet. Sometimes we need to close our mouths. Sometimes we need to have a significance in our silence. Sometimes we need to be successful in private. And I'm not advocating for you running from community, but church, let me encourage you, especially those of us who are young, even if people don't believe it, even if people don't put their stamp of approval on it, even if people don't hear the latest and the greatest that's happening in your life, God is still working. God is still using you. God is still going to use the testimony that's unspoken. And at the right time, wait till week three, at the right time, Zachariah is going to be able to speak and testify of what God did. How many of you are glad that God sometimes closes your mouth, closes the opportunities, keeps you quiet, keeps you silent, because God wants to teach us that he can still move in our unspoken testimonies, that he can still move in quiet, that he can still move in private. And this is the question we have to ask ourselves. Church, do you believe that God still hears unanswered prayers? Can you expect that God still moves 
in unsure situations, do you truly trust that God can still use unspoken testimonies? Do you believe this? This is a principle of Advent, waiting. I want to extend a special prayer and a blessing for the people who have been waiting for a long time. Not the people who just started praying for something. Not the immediate needs, although God can meet those too. I'm talking about some of our saints who have been sitting in the same place for 20 years, for 30 years. There's someone right now, this is not live, so I'm just following the leading of the Spirit. There's someone right now, tears are filling your eyes because you've been waiting for something for 20 years. I don't know what that is. I have no idea. No clue. I don't, I don't see a face. I don't see a situation. I just see 20 years and tears. That's all I see. For those of you who have been waiting for 20 years, it's not too late. It may not come the way you think it will. God's going to show up. It's okay. It's okay. You've been praying for a long time. You've been asking the question, does God hear? God heard you. God heard you. You know who you are. God heard you. And many of us need to come into faith and to agreement with the people who have been waiting for a long time because all of us have been waiting for something. All of us have desired for God to move in a way that God has not quite moved yet. Will you lift up your hands in faith right now, wherever you are? Lift up your hands. I want to stretch my hands towards you. There's no power in my hands. There's no power in my words. But the spirit that is on the inside of me can move in supernatural ways in spite of me. So stretch your hands toward wherever you are, toward the camera, the phone, the laptop, the television, wherever you are. And I want to pray a special prayer of blessing upon you. God in heaven, would you move in supernatural ways in this season to do what people think is unthinkable, to accomplish what people perceive is impossible, to move in ways that are unfathomable. God, I pray for those who have been waiting for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Those who have been waiting so long, it seems as though they've lost count. They're doing the calculations right now in their heads, trying to figure out, is it me? Have I been waiting for 20 years? God, I pray for those who have lost count but have remained faithful. I pray, God, that you would communicate, that you hear their unanswered prayers, that you can move in unsure situations, that you can use unspoken testimonies, even the things that nobody knows about. I pray right now in faith, God, that you would show up, that your spirit would move mightily. But it's not just about the answer. It's not even primarily about the answer. It's about the arrival of your presence. May we not be in the place of God and doubt the power of God. May we not be in the presence of God and doubt your power, doubt your ability to move. So I pray for everyone who is waiting, young and old, new and old, anybody who's doing whatever they're doing, whatever they're going through, I pray that you would move and that they would be, their heads would be lifted today to know that they are legitimate, that they have been heard, that they have been seen by a loving God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. I hope that that encouraged you. I hope that you were able to wait. Come back next week for the second part of Luke chapter one. We are gonna continue our Advent series, but church, I encourage you to keep your head lifted. No matter how long you've been waiting, God is still going to show up. Be blessed. 
Well, hey, church, I hope that that encouraged you as we continue our focus series. It is so important for us to remember that we are called to follow after Jesus. And that first starts again with salvation. And if you're wondering, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I am a part of the family of God. It's very simple. It is just a prayer away. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I have sinned against you. I believe that you died and you rose again for, for my sins and for the sins of the entire world. And now I will trust and follow you for the rest of my life. Whatever variation you say that in, if you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you are saved. Welcome to the family of God. I know it might seem like you don't know what to do, but I want you to put home in the comments, the word home in the comments, all caps, and our social media team will reach out to you and give you some literature, help guide you further on what you are supposed to do as you move forward. I also want to encourage you as you're moving into this particular moment of us being focused. I want to encourage you to join us on our Focus Fast. You can do so in the pinned comment. There is a link that says Focus Fast. There's a pinned comment there. And you can click that link and it'll give you the steps for what it means to fast. This is a powerful time for us to center our hearts and allow God to speak to us as we continue to focus on what he has called for us to do. If you didn't have a chance to give, you can do so in three easy ways. You can go to the Tively app and type New Dimensions Christian Center. You can go to our website, ndccpensacola.org and click offerings. Or you can mail it in, P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. Church, thank you so much for joining us. I pray that the worship has uplifted you. The word has challenged you. I pray that you have been changed today and motivated to go all in. We'll see you on Tuesday at Midweek Bible Study right here on our NDCC Facebook or YouTube page. And we'll see you next week for another sermon series from our Focus series. We're so excited about what God is doing. Our calling is so important and we must remain focused on it. Well, I'm praying blessings upon you this week. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week right here at New Dimensions Christian Center, where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny. Be blessed. Hey, hey,